Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everyone, I'm Sam Fry and welcome to this brand new episode of Technique. This is the podcast where we speak to artists about how they use technology. As a podcast, we like to think of ourselves as bringing together communities of artists and digital enthusiasts. However, we're not the only ones. And actually, in London, there are some great groups doing this. In particular, the guys that we're going to be speaking to today. Have I sparked your interest? Well, in just a second, I'll reveal who they are. Today's guests are the brains behind the wonderful Artful Spark events, and there are two of them. The first one is Sam. I'm Sam Howie Nunn, and aside from running Artful Spark with Ben, I run Free Ice Cream. Free Ice Cream makes new kinds of thinking tools and collaborative spaces to help people engage with complex subjects. And as Sam suggested, the second one is Ben. Hey, I'm Ben, Ben Templeton. I'm a director at Thought Den. We're a design studio. We make games for arts and culture organisations. Also co-founder of Artful Spark with, with Sam. Well, that's the team. And for those that don't know, Artful Spark is an event where people talk about their creative practice and there are a bunch of tech demos at the same time. And it's all about that intersection of art and tech and culture. I've been going to the Artful Spark events pretty much since they first started and I find them a really great place to meet like-minded people and also the kind of people that might be interested in the arts or technology that you might not necessarily expect to meet. In terms of Ben and Sam, well, I first met Sam through Artful Spark, whereas Ben I met quite a few years ago when I was doing some work for Nesta and he was introduced to me as someone that was based in Bristol at the time, although he's since moved to London. And really, Artful Spark was about trying to bring some of the types of communities that they have in Bristol that are focused around digital culture to London. During this episode, we talk about both of their careers, but we also talk quite a lot about Artful Spark and how the event has changed over that time. The episode itself should be quite nice and short and sweet, as that's what we agreed up front. Hey, we'll, we'll keep it short and Sounds sweet good. to reduce your editing overload. That, that's always Really? <laughs> we won't waffle. <laughs> no waffling. I mean, I'm not promising not to waffle. No I may well waffle. <laughs> cool. Mm, yeah, thanks, guys. No, but in all seriousness, they're great guests, and they make for a really good episode. And we'll start the episode with me asking Sam about what got her interested in immersive storytelling. I started out as a freelance theatre producer, did that, well, an independent theatre producer for over 10 years and found myself quite quickly working in interactive, some kind of immersive, but usually usually digital tools in theatre making of some sort. So right back when we were just sticking Walkmans in people's pockets and walking them around the streets before any kind of real pervasive technology had taken hold, we were doing some quite strange stuff back in like 2005 and um, I you know it was just kind of personal fascination I always wanted to know more about technology it seemed to me like a really exciting way to scale things and give people new kinds of story experiences I spent a lot of time also just alongside producing running events that were always about bridging technology and the arts in some kind of way under the banner of Stellar Network which was which was always just about bringing people across theatre, film and television into the same room and talking about technology as a kind of bridging tool across industries, across the creative industries and that kind of led into Artful Spark. 
I started out working with a company called Ladder to the Moon, who specialised in taking theatre to mental health hospitals, uh, neurological hospitals and dementia homes, care homes. And that was very much like tiny, tiny pockets of, of theatre for you know very intimate spaces. And then that led on to working with people like Coney, who were very much the start of thinking about active audiences. And, and then it was really, I think the thing that fascinated me for years as a producer was that kind of tension between narrative and agency. So how do you give an audience agency within a narrative that is somehow satisfactory and has some arc and has some meaning? And that tension between those two things, I think, is, is really fascinating. And still, still do that with free ice cream to some extent, although we're much less about narrative. But that thing about giving people agency in something that then is meaningful is uh, just really where my interest lies. It's really interesting that you picked up on that you started in theatre because mm. back in you know days of the, my uni days, I applied for theatre courses and media courses. I didn't know which way I wanted to swing it, and mm. um, I guess I was drawn to theatre because of the live aspect. And then ultimately what, what made the decision was an open day at Bournemouth and I saw the rows of shiny IMAX and the editing <laughs> suites and, you know, all the audio recording equipment and I was like, You're I've got to play with these toys. And, um, and the theatre sort of part of me slightly fell into the background. My yeah. post-rationalisation was that I could do theatre in my spare time but I can't play with all these tools, I can't afford all these tools. So that sort of defined the, the route I took and fairly soon out of university with some quite practical skills I could get into making stuff and 10 years a little more than 10 years later I kind of miss that immediacy that I, I did I learned skills to just make games make websites and and then everything just spiraled out of out of that and a few years later I founded Thought Den and and we started to professionalize the operation and make games for arts and culture organizations and it's just interesting looking back how things sort of unfolded quite organically I was just following my nose and it sounds similar to you yeah. you're sort of following your nose yeah and... things always make sense when you look back at them right you can, you can yeah. find the narrative arc of how you've got where you've got to and how it all actually made sense in the end but it's funny when you talk about that I feel like there's still like a little bit of envy because I still don't have all the digital making tools that I want to have. And, and that was also part of why I always wanted to run events around how do we help people who are in the arts, in any art form, get into technology? How do we give them the, uh, the people in front of them to ask the questions they need to ask and the tools in their hands and the ability? And the thing with Artful Spark that we wanted to do was like make a safe space in which you can really ask, like, where's, where's the on switch? What will this do? Like, we don't have to. Anyone can kind of walk in and you know, not magically have some kind of predisposed knowledge or experience because you know, a lot of people don't. And we wanted that kind of first step of the, of the rung, of the, of the ladder in a way uh, for people to, to get into technology. And that's definitely from my own kind of wanting to be able to get my hands on stuff more and more. Yeah, I think the immediacy of digital media back in, you know, 2005, 2006, the, the, the thrill that within a day I could get a website up was, was just so, so compelling. And that was definitely the driver in, in my work, just that, that thrill that you can get something public within a few hours. And sadly, my skills in that department are quite rusty now. And it's, it can be quite galling running events like Artful Spark and seeing and hearing from these hugely talented people and, and thinking, oh, if only I had those <laughs> skills. But that's the point of the community, right, is we want to bring people together 
who have the insecurities I now have and not able to make stuff the way I once could and, 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 and then matching them up with the sort of very talented thinkers, makers, doers. Yeah, a big pile of inspiration right yeah. there. What would you say, both of you, were the thing that made you feel like you'd made that step into that art and digital world? So I've always had an interest in, in education and learning and, and having graduated from Bournemouth, I was invited back to, to sort of to work with some students and I did that for a number of years and, and, and learning was a big part of, of my work at Thought Then and, and that's really the avenue that led us to the arts and culture space because it, it ultimately it's about helping a broad audience learn about these wonderful subjects whether it's like the history of art or you know the science of biology physics so learning was my way into that sector and I, and I think and get in hand with gaming so we made a lot of viral games back in 2005, 6, 7 for people like Jack Daniels and Southern Comfort and JVC and so those are brands I wouldn't especially want to work with nowadays but in, in fact they were a great stepping stone to, to the cultural space I'm in now and Magic 8-Ball was a commission that the Tate made and it was our big break if you like it, it became our calling card in the arts and culture space and we went on to make things like capture the museum and, and do some really great work with Open University and it was, yeah, Magic Table was a, a turning point for us. And it's a piece of work we're really proud of. It's so simple. Because of the nature of the kind of theatre that I was producing, I always called for, or played with the edges of technology in different ways. And also with that whole thing around interactive narratives and, and using kind of game-like structures to, to move active audiences around. So technology was always at the edges of that, sometimes in a very small way, sometimes just in a more innovative way of getting audiences knowing about about the thing right through to embedded stuff. I guess it was always a little bit of that. And then um, I think that I'm working with technology now more than ever with free ice cream um, because my co-director is a technologist and a game designer. And the stuff that we make usually has some technical technical element. It usually exists on one or two platforms as well as in the real world. It's some kind of offline online hybrid so I'd say that I, I think that I am day to day with technology much more now than I've ever been there's this interesting tension with Artful Spark when we talk about theming each event because we quite like the dynamic nature of having a different theme each event we, we often talk about should it be around a piece of technology is that the right lightning rod to, to bring an audience together or should it be something more you know about creative about idea centric but in actual fact we both work with technology we're both passionate about using technology in the background to to do wonderful things and and without that technology the truth is there would be very different experiences so much as we fight against it we don't want it to be about the technology that's the catalyst for doing this interesting work well it's interesting isn't it because there's there's been this really dominant school of thought for a long time which is like okay it's not technology first obviously we think about and obviously we do we think about the audience first we think about the experience we want to make first we want to think about what we want them to feel and and talk and how they talk about it and all of those things and then so okay so what technology enables that so it does feel a little bit arse backwards to you know launch each artful spark edition with this technology but it's nice it's a simple like you say a, a lightning rod is a good description of it it's a simple marker line in the sand to go it's going to be about this and from that as the jumping off point we talk about all these other things which is you know what this technology enables and 
Plus, we get to geek out a bit. Like, yeah. Talking about sensors. Ooh, oh, totally. Yeah. And it, that's, it definitely ticks that box for both of us, doesn't it? The, the wanting to be able to have more geekery in our lives. Although, of course, it's always the way that running the event, you never get to go and play with the demos as much as you want to. Quite often, they get packed up before I can really get over and get involved. <laughs> In terms of you two meeting each other, did you both meet at the Pervasive Media Studio or did you meet before that? And then how did that lead, in, lead to the place where you've decided to create Artful Spark together? I think the Pervasive Media Studio had a powerful role in it, but an indirect one. That was we, your origin story, not was, mine. I no, wasn't involved it, with the studio when you were at all. But I think when we first met, mm. you knew of the studio and you knew of me. Yeah. I was totally geeking out over the studio over in Bristol, being a Londoner and wanting something like that to exist in London. And I think that was part of the vision for Artful Spark in a way. It was like, what can we do to create some small community in London? And I got in touch with Ben because I felt like his skill set and kind of sector experience really was quite nice in the way it sat next to mine. And there was a tiny bit of overlap, but not much. At the time, I was still working mostly in theatre and Ben was very much more games and more commercial brand stuff. And I was more kind of artsy stuff so it felt like we sat quite nicely next to each other and between us could talk to a much broader range of sectors when we first met I can't say that we had an intention of setting up an event series it was more that I was fairly new to London and I think it felt like we would have a lot to talk about oh that's funny because I remember it as like specifically saying to you let's do this let's do something where we put you know people in the arts and technologies together I remember that being the start of our conversation. Do you not met. remember it like that? Not when we first huh. met. Maybe I was just um, generally scoping you out. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what my the, true intentions were. Yeah, the were. grand plan all along. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a bit about Artful Spark. Well, the definition for us for Artful Spark has always shifted and we, we quite enjoy playing around with how we describe it. Ultimately, it's a community. But as we said, the, the, the theme of each event shifts. We originally wanted it to be a quarterly event series, and I don't think in three years and, and six events we've ever managed to do it quarterly. Still trying. Still trying. <laughs> um, I think that regularity would, would help, but yeah. as it turns out, it, it is difficult running an event series off your own back. But, so at the heart of it is the idea of a community and wanting to bring together all different kinds of makers and thinkers and, and creative people, whether it's in theatre or TV or film, games, digital. And we want to bring them together, as Sam said, in a safe place where they can ask questions, learn from each other and, and certainly be inspired. Yeah, it's funny because we've always talked about it as a place where I should feel very accessible and a safe space for people to ask stupid questions. But actually, we have found that a lot of people who are really experienced in, in digital culture and are, are regulars... Yeah, they so, get a lot of value from that sense of community. Yeah, so that's really great because I think um, there's something. I think an event series really works if you've got that sort of cross pollination of, of diff- people at different levels of their career. Uh, it's it's certainly not a gathering of newbies. It's a real mix. And, and we looked at other things like this. This happened is a is a good example, or Dorkbot, or they're all sort of variations on a theme. But we felt like, well, Dorkbot's a bit too geeky, and yeah. this happened is is more specifically about UX design, and 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 we felt like there was a space for something that that combined getting hands on with the technology, and then also discussing 
some of the process behind working cross-discipline when you get a choreographer working with a programmer or you know you, you get a, a seamstress working with a musician and a, an electronics mm-hmm. designer and we, we love this idea of the cross-pollination of skill sets and and I think one of the unique aspects to an Art for Spark event is that you get hands-on you can play with stuff you can see how it works and then you can also sit back and just enjoy some great ideas and that, that, that get presented to you there's a nice mixture one of the biggest drivers was I was just really frustrated with all the dialogue around technology five six years ago around technology in the creative sectors as as being a, a marketing tool a distribution tool a, it was never or there was as far as I could tell there was very little conversation about technology as a, as a key tool a creative tool something that would that would change up you know the way that you might make art the way that you might access your audiences within the piece or whatever it might be so it was also just about we really wanted to make a space where uh, technology was first and foremost part of this part of the creative process part of the making process rather than about the marketing and the distribution do you feel that's changed much i think it's getting better i think that the the conversation is broadening out um but certainly it felt it felt quite closed off at that time it's interesting when people ask what what's the audience for Artful Spark and again I think the audience shifts partly that's because of the different locations where we've held it and the different themes we've had but there was a period where we felt like we were attracting too many advertising folk or too many agency folk and it, it felt a bit unbalanced and it's really interesting to see how the audience has shifted over time it would be lovely to bring us a slightly clearer sense of direction to that but I'm not sure that's within our control it's really not I mean it's it's impossible as two people who are running this event series outside of our normal events we're beholden to venues who get the vision and want to get on board accessing real data about the people that come is a challenge always so we do you know we do our best and I think we've generally got a sense that Yes, it was it was a bit agency initially. We feel now we see we're seeing a lot of museum exhibition people um, as regulars, which is really nice. Um, some of it is still a question mark to us about who's actually who's actually there. But we do we see a core of regulars yeah. who come to nearly everyone, which is great. I think that that tells us a lot. It's there are about five hundred subscribers now, which is a, yeah yeah good a good milestone. Yeah, GDPR's made it ever harder. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get that data and keep it but you know we do what we can it actually started at Furtherfield out in Finsbury Park and I think we had about 35 people come yeah yeah, really and, rough and ready. Yeah. Lovely little room. It was a great vibe. You can vibe. see the pictures on our website about how different it looked then yeah. to now. It was a great vibe. We couldn't afford a photographer, but we had Imogen Heap's Mimu gloves, which were amazing. And the theme was wearables. And, and afterwards in the pub, we could all have a little go. And we were, you know, having a beer and then playing with, with Imogen's Mimu gloves, which was a, it was a lovely <laughs> genesis for, for the series. And, and then in quite stark contrast, we went to Google Campus. And, and it was quite a shock having... There was a, it was a much slicker technical operation. You know, there was a stage and a podium and an audio set up and a... Proper lighting. Proper lighting mm. and rate seating and so mm. on. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting change. And then from... 
Google Campus, Sam and I both felt it wasn't quite the right vibe. They were very friendly there, but it just wasn't quite the right, attracting them quite the right community. And we went, we managed to land Barbican and, and partner with them. And we ran the event there for three, three sessions. And now the sixth is at Rich Mix, our new yeah. home where yeah. we hope to, to stay for Hopefully we'll stay. The indefinite. Barbican was great. That was a great partner to have. Um, beautiful room. And felt like it spoke to what we were trying to be. It's, you know, broad enough, sec- sector, sectorally broad enough for us to feel like we were open to everyone who wanted to come and had all the infrastructure and staffing to pull off something that was, you know, I think we pull off something that is, in, we aim to pull off something that is informal and friendly and warm, but underneath is, is going very smoothly, especially with all the demos and the talks. And we move people in between demos and talks very quickly. So, it, you know, it has to be quite choreographed really quite sharply. And when we lost Barbican, we felt really, we were, we were really concerned actually about, you know, what's it going to take to find a venue like Barbican in London for free, essentially, because, you know, we don't, we don't have ticket prices that are going to cover any kind of venue hire. And Rich Mix really saw what we were doing as part of the things that they wanted to be talking about and the kind of people they wanted to be coming and the kind of professional community that they're trying to cultivate and thinking about, you know, Rich Mix are doing a lot of thinking about creative technologies in the arts. So that was wonderful to find that. It was great to have the endorsement of Barbican at that early stage of yeah, the journey, wasn't that it? Helped. A well-reputed cultural organisation, exactly as you said, it's, it covers such a broad swathe of the arts that mm-hmm. it felt like a really great fit. Mm-hmm. And we've always sold out. That's been key for us, I think, because we both have really demanding day jobs. We're super busy, and I think ordinarily the days of running events for free would be we'd have left those in our 20s. But it sells itself, and because it sells itself, we can continue to do it, which is something I'm so thankful for. It, we should point out that we had some, some help from KTN as well in the early oh, days. Oh, yes, we did. We've got to talk about that. They, they, um, Fiona Kilkelly. Yeah, they were fantastic. At, above and beyond the financial support, they, they had you know good creative input and, and linked us up with interesting communities. But the financial support did help us make a, a, a really lovely video, and, and that in itself helps crystallise the, yeah. the community. Shallow as it sounds, it's, it's very useful to see something no, beautiful and on screen. You've been great at that. Ben particularly always pushes, like, let's make a great video, let's invest in a good photographer, let's get these images. And I think it's not something that I would instinctively have done. So it's great to have seen that that really, it really helps. It seems superficial, but people need to see what they're coming to and they need to see how vibrant and exciting it looks because it always does. It's, yeah, we get some really quirky stuff, don't we? Yeah. And that, that's, the, that's the thrill of it is we get some really quirky stuff. But yeah, the KTM was great. And Fiona Kilkelly had the vision to see that we were building a community that would benefit the creative industries in general and um, she's still, they, they, the KTN still supports us by putting out tweets and newsletter staff and finding us, finding us speakers or academics if we want to talk around a theme and understand how to dive into it. It was a really lovely energy. I'm, I'm so thrilled with how well it went. You, there are always, you know, first date nerves with a new venue and you, you're dealing with the unexpected to a certain extent. But, I, you know, I can officially say they absolutely smashed it. They were fantastic on the night. And all, all the build-up as well, but just so responsive, so friendly, so willing to help. And, you know, the, the tech guy Luke was fab and we had, there were two bar staff and then the duty manager, everyone yeah. was chipping in. Nothing was, was too difficult. Everything was set up beautifully. 
So, and, and, and the crowd yeah, followed us. The, the crowd event. followed us followed us from Barbican, which of course was an unknown. Well, you say that we we did a little shout out at the beginning. How, how many people are here for the first time? And it's, oh, that's it's, true. There were quite a few. There were quite first a few hands up for the first timers, which also old faces. Yeah, there were some old faces, but it was really nice to see that actually, even though we're at a new venue. We can still attract a new audience, and, and I think that 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 means the community is only growing, which is fantastic. Mm. But the energy in the room was was great. There was a, a lovely mixture of people from the games industry and people from sort of arts and culture installations. Our theme was playful interfaces, and I mean we could have programmed it for a week, but without necessarily meaning to, I think we found this quite interesting niche between those two disciplines those two industries game design and sort of installation art Mm. and it was a really rich vein wasn't it it really was and I hadn't I don't think I had realized that there is some perceived schism between those two things until a couple of the speakers and demoists came up to us and said it's so lovely to see games and and interactive installations in the same program you know for us I think it just felt natural but maybe that comes from because we were talking about playful interfaces. So we wanted to program a range of things that fell within that space. And I think that's the secret of picking a good theme, isn't it, as well, is that it's broad enough to allow you to find the most exciting work out there whilst being narrow enough that people get a grip on what you're trying to talk about and allows you to dive a bit deeper into what that theme is about. Yeah. So it's a balancing act, you know. There was a lovely balance between... And the demoists and, and speakers as well. It, it's like all, all four of them actually had work to demo, whereas in the mm. past we had sort of two slightly more academic presentations and, and mm. two demos or something. In, in this instance, they all had work to show. Robin Baumgarten was there with his um, line wobbler and, and wobble garden. He's in a sort of experimental hardware games developer. And Phoenix Perry was there. She's a lecturer at Goldsmiths, but she, beyond that, she's many other things cultural instigator and feminist killjoy. <laughs> In her own words. Um, we also had Daniel Hirschman, who helped found Tech Will Save Us and, and also runs his own studio, Hirsch and Mann. They sort of specialise in immersive installations and, and connected objects. And then Tim burrell Soward as well, who has his own studio, East London Kinetics, and, and he's also creative... And innovation. And our, yeah, innovation lead at Sensible Object, who are the, the studio that um, created Beasts of Balance, which, as it turns out, is now stocked in every single Apple store around the world, mm. which was... Um, it felt like quite a coup to to have Tim talking. Yeah, yeah, Beasts of Balance has rocketed. But he didn't actually talk a huge amount about Beasts of Bal- Beast Balance, because it was... I mean, I think if we were to do... A talk like that, you know, maybe in the future we'll want to program something around, um, I don't know, connected connected games or product. You know, the whole the whole product journey is completely different. Um, we wanted him to talk about his work with Elk, really, and uh, he's got a whole swathe of experience with playful interfaces. constant ever-changing list of priorities about what's going to come next we did this interesting thing where we put boxes out at this event just gone with three different well two suggested themes and one kind of question mark suggest your own and ask people to vote on what they wanted which we really liked because we're constantly asking people okay what we want that kind of that circular 
virtuous circle of people telling us what they want us to program. We don't want to be doing it in an echo box, you know. We put those boxes out there, got some voting. Um, I was really surprised because Ben's been talking about wanting to do something around producers. And maybe it's because I have been a producer that I find that less interesting. And also it's a real departure for us in terms of we're not using a technology as our jumping off point. But it was overwhelmingly the most popular option. What was the other one we had? Robotics. Mm. So robotics is something that we're calling iProducer about producing across, across forms and what it means to produce cross-platform, you know, technology-enabled pieces. And then the third one was the, the question mark. And yeah, looks like we might be doing producers. In the digital art world, there's a, sometimes a question on what is the role of the artist within that world, and actually quite often they become more of a curator or a producer of the work with, rather than necessarily coding the work or, mm. or producing all the elements of it. Mm. Do you think that relates to that in terms of the role of the producer and or artist as artist or producer i I think hundreds of years ago that's how the famous artists would have worked with a studio of painters you know damien hurst didn't necessarily paint all of his circle dots he had a team of people sweating it out he might have chosen the colors but he might not have actually held the paintbrush and i think that's just art that's art production and artful spark it has the word art in its name but it's not exclusively about art or digital art but that's a really interesting area where the boundaries are being pushed and I think that's more what interests us is who are the people doing the interesting work who are the people breaking the mold and stepping across the lines and blurring the boundaries who are the people sort of plumbing those interesting depths and that might be an artist or it might be a producer and I think we need Mm -hmm. to give that a stage in terms of the question around our ambition with this new venue at Rich Mix I think it would be lovely to try and build a little more regularity into it and familiarity so that the the community gets to know each other a bit better when we're changing locations it is harder for people to become comfortable and I think we've talked about it being a safe space and we've delivered that to a certain extent but I think we've got further to go yeah. Um, and, and we play around in our programming. It feels a little bit like when you're planning a wedding or planning a birthday party, you're sweating over the place names and who are we going to sit with who. And we really think hard about our programming and, and the scheduling of the, of the evening because we want people to have time to integrate and have a drink and chat. We want to leave space for those serendipitous moments of discussion. We've had some feedback from people in the audience saying they weren't having enough of those interesting conversations. And that was a real wake-up call for us, realising that actually that was an important pillar when we talked about the vision for this event series. We really wanted to encourage those sorts of collaborative discussions where people who wouldn't normally necessarily have a conversation can, at Artful Spark... Have, a, have that conversation. And it was it was really encouraging feedback, actually, because we got, had a series of comments saying, I know that there are some really interesting people in this room that I want to talk to, and I'm not getting a chance to, to talk to them yet, because we, I think we were packing the programme so full of talks and demos. So that was actually, it was good to hear. The right crowd is there, and it's just leaving the space for it. And, and yeah, you're right. I think, I think Rich Mix, if we can stay there, will afford us the ability to just programme every three months like we've always meant to. So it's been just over three years six Mm -hmm. events six prototypes if you like we're we're still (laughs) perfecting the recipe but based on on um last week at rich mix the 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 vibe in the room was really warm and that's Mm. it felt like we we were definitely getting closer to the to the to the the, to the feeling that we want and and i think sam and i are getting more familiar with what 
it means to run Artful Spark. We're getting our processes in place and it's just becoming a little easier. It's been tricky at times, but it felt like Artful Spark 6 playful interfaces went really well. It did. It really did. So that was Sam and Ben talking about Artful Spark. And if you're interested in going to one of their Artful Spark events at Rich Mix in the future, then there are various ways that you can follow them. So artfulspark.org is the website mm-hmm. and Artful Spark is the hashtag. And we've also got a Flickr page with loads of photos. If you want to sign up to the newsletter, you can go to bit.ly slash artfulsparknews. Yeah, so we don't, we don't send out a newsletter. We don't spam you, but we just send out bulletins essentially when uh, when an event is coming up, and then we'll send out another reminder just to make sure that everyone who who wants to buy a ticket is reminded. And we don't we don't send anything out in between that. It's literally just here's the next event. These are our speakers. Here's the ticket link. And I would definitely recommend you do any of the above, especially signing up to their email distribution list. Plus, you could get involved in either speaking at one of their events or at least shaping one of them. Here's Ben explaining a little bit on how. It would be amazing if people out there wanted to submit either some theme ideas or suggest themselves as speakers. Or friends as speakers. Friends as speakers. And and if you are working on a really cool piece of technology that you want to demonstrate to the community, then please do get in touch. Send us an email, info at artfulspark.org. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of the work that we do in between events is really just scouting for the most interesting work and artists out there, and then that tends to inform what we'll program next. You know, we'll, we'll we'll get a sense of a cluster or an energy around a particular type of technology or a particular kind of work, and then we'll that once it's hit our radar, we'll we'll, we'll program around that. So um, the more people are sending us exciting projects and things that they're involved in, the more that will happen. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Anyway, that's all that we've got time for today. I'd love to say a big thank you to both Sam and Ben for their time on this episode. The Artful Spark events are a really great thing, and especially for people that are based in London, it's a great way to build up your network in this digital art and culture community. We've got some special episodes coming up, as this was the 24th episode, meaning we've got our 25th one coming up next. So... Make sure you don't miss out on that one because it'll be quite an interesting one. To make sure you don't miss out, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can do that on any of your podcast players, but particularly if you're on iTunes, there's clearly a subscribe button. Plus, while you're at it, why not give us a rating? If you can give us five stars, that really helps us in the charts. So until the next episode, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks again to all of the people that have been involved in this episode, including those that made the music. A lot of the music was made by Sean Miller, as always. And the final song was by an artist called Krestovsky, and the track was National Spark. So thank you to yourselves as well for listening. You've done really well to get all the way to the end. So hopefully that means you'll listen again. In the meantime, take very good care of yourselves. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century. 
putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.